you have to kind of use all the like all the words to make them yeah. feel respected so yeah that's definitely um something that I had to get used to and I think it stuck with me too because now I'm here in the UK and sometimes I'll email someone who's much higher than me in the hierarchy mm-hmm. and they might like email back being like Aisha you don't have to be so formal on email <laughs> you can just say like you know thanks or like you know here here is this but instead I'm still emailing like hi you know thank you so much for the opportunity for letting me work on this here's what I've prepared please let me know like I'm still using all the words that I remember from from working in Nigeria Hey, hi everyone and welcome to this episode of The Adulting Cure. I'm here today with Aisha, whom I know from um, university at SOAS. And it's very interesting um, because today we'll be hearing from her about, again, a working identity crisis, which is kind of a series slash few episodes of things that we've been doing, which talk a little bit about people's backgrounds, identity, and work it into how it's been affecting or not affecting us in today's world of work and the various cultures that we have been um, exposed to in our working and in our personal lives. So uh, Aisha, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and yeah, how you got to, how we got to know each other maybe? Yes. Um, Hi everyone. My name is Aisha. I'm Nigerian and American and I live in the UK and I met Kay at SOAS where we were both studying law and uh, I was applying to be in the Law Society and she did my interview and we just kind of became friends from there. Um, I really enjoy studying law, but I also enjoy politics, popular culture, history, all sorts of things. So, yeah. You have your own podcast as well. which Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah, I have my own podcast. It's called It's Kind of a Funny Story, where uh, my friend Miriam and I discuss moments in histories where moments in history where pop culture and politics have collided so examples of previous episodes as we did an episode on the sony pictures um, movie the interview which is like set in north korea and it's about um you know so it's a plot based in north korea but it had real life world impact we also did an episode on anti-vaxxers and like celebrities who don't believe in vaccines <laughs> and um we did an episode on bollywood and uh bollywood Bollywood stars getting involved in politics nowadays. And uh, we also did an episode on Naomi Campbell, who's one of my favorite people, about how she ended up as a special witness at the a special tribunal for Sierra Leone in The oh, Hague. she did? That is so yeah. interesting. Yeah, she, um, it's, it has to do with like some diamonds that she got from like oh. a warlord. It's a whole thing, but it really spiced up the, the court when she showed up and she clearly just didn't want to be there. Like she literally said to the judge, like, this is an inconvenience for me. I have other things to do. Um, I don't <laughs> want to be here as a witness. Oh my goodness. That is the most Naomi um, Campbell thing like ever. And exactly. it's so iconic. <laughs> okay. So um, let's get into it a little bit. So you mentioned that you were Nigerian and American, right? And so part of yeah. this whole series or this, these three episodes that we're doing is that we're trying to kind of get into the nitty gritty of how maybe an identity crisis or some kind of um, culture clash or upbringing have impacted us in our current present day. The background, of course, being that myself and the people that we've been talking to have all kind of had something similar happen to them in the sense that we are from different backgrounds as to the ones that we are currently in. So for myself, for example, I am I was born in Singapore, but I obviously didn't kind of end up living here permanently until 2018. And prior to that, I was like a bit all over the place. And so it was a little challenging to kind of, I think, reconcile some aspects of what you think your culture is supposed to be versus what it actually is, for example. And especially when working, that kind of comes up a lot, uh, a lot more and with a lot more, um, I guess, a uh, challenge for you to reconcile because you don't really have much time. You're kind of just thrown into the thick of it, right? So yes. for yourself, what were any challenges or, um, or not challenges, but anything positive that you liked from your upbringing that you have kind of brought with you now into your present self? Oh, um, so for me, there were definitely challenges because I moved to the UK when I was much younger. I was 12 years old from Mm -hmm. Nigeria. And I kind of surprised all of my (laughs) British classmates with like my Nigerian attitude to work and my classes. Like 
the school I went to in Nigeria was super competitive and my school in England was like decidedly not like that was their <laughs> thing. They weren't competitive. And I would just say things and do things that would make my like new friends be like, what is she doing? <laughs> and now like we can laugh about it and like they make jokes about all the stuff I said, but yeah. it was a real like learning curve. And I feel like, um, like my multi-identity cultural upbringing nowadays has been really helpful in trying to, you know, understand like the politics of the places mm-hmm. I've been living. Like um, it's really an opportunity to like learn from each community. Um, for example, you know, when, when you look at like the rise of President Trump, like when mm-hmm. it was happening in 2015, 2016, all I could think about is like um, electoral politics in Nigeria, which are very cult of personality. Like oh, a lot okay. of times it's like one man that's really the driving force for how people vote. Mm-hmm. And so like, I don't know, you kind of learn lessons from each community and you know when you're trying to understand how to navigate a new community you just Mm -hmm. take it from there did you feel that when you went to the u.s uh i guess you went there for you went to georgetown right yes i went to georgetown university uh for my undergrad Mm -hmm. how did you was there any difference in the way that you were i mean your identity was received at georgetown versus at soas Oh, that's a good question. So yes, when I went to Georgetown, I had just come from the UK and um, I definitely had a culture shock because especially in the in America, like mm-hmm. American colleges, things are so different. And I felt, I felt scared <laughs> for a little bit. Um, I felt, I also felt like a pressure to perform maybe mm-hmm. because of my British background, because you know, it's a very international school. There are people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a tendency for the international students to kind of look down on the American students a little bit. Mm. And I never enjoyed that because I knew that, like, I also, you know, had um, American, uh, like, family who lived in America and, like, American right. cousins. And I, I never liked that tension between the internationals and the Americans. And mm-hmm. I feel like when I got to SOAS later in life, when I came back to the UK, mm-hmm. I felt that that tension wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a similarly international school at SOAS, but maybe mm-hmm. it's because of like the UK's like accepting culture, maybe because there's so many, many international communities in London, mm-hmm. for example. But um, that tension seemed to just kind of disappear. Like if you were American, you were American. If you're British, you were British. You know, if you yeah. were from Singapore, it didn't matter. Like everyone is there to study. So yeah, I would say um, the difference between the two was definitely that like tension between international communities and like, um, <laughs> like American communities for sure. Just so curious as to like why you decided to go to back to the States after being in the UK. Was it just because you wanted to get an American quote college experience or was it just because you decided that was the best place for you to be at that point in time um a a little bit of both so Mm -hmm. i when i was looking at at universities in the uk you know you can only apply to five um in the uk and i applied to my five and i went to look at two or three of them and i was just i I felt so empty like Mm -hmm. I, i wanted to study politics and international relations and i went to you know my number one choice and I, I even went for my interview and the entire weekend I was at the interview, I was like, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I really want an education. I was really trying to get, you know, that like all around wholesome education. It's not just like about academics, but it's about like right. the, you know, the concerts you go and see, the the lectures you can attend, mm-hmm. the, um, the people you can meet. And um, so I started looking towards American universities. Mm-hmm. And when I visited Georgetown, I remember so clearly it was October. It was Halloween, October 30th, 2010. Uh-huh. Wow. My, oh, I remember my tour guide at the time, she gave the tour of the school and she was talking about how DC is, you know, a really great place for events. And she's like, actually tomorrow I'm going to uh, the rally to restore sanity on the national mall. And I like my <laughs> mouth dropped open because that was like John Stewart and Stephen Colbert's rally. And I'm the biggest like John Stewart fan. Right, I was like, yeah. You can just, you can just go and she's like, yeah, I'm going tomorrow with my friends. And I, I literally had stars in my eyes. I was like, this is where I belong. I want to go to like political slash comedy events all the time. And not that the UK didn't have those events, but it wasn't as much of a priority for Mm -hmm. UK education. I feel like if you go to, you know, LSE to study politics, you're going to LSE to study politics. There's Mm -hmm. no pressure on the school to give you, you know, a lot more in terms of extracurricular activities and stuff like that. So that's why I chose the US and I'm, you know, lucky to, because I also know like 
uh, visa applications and things like that can be very tough mm-hmm. if you want to go to the U.S. So I'm, I consider myself fortunate that I didn't have mm-hmm. those hurdles. But yeah, best choice I made in my life, do you, I think. Do you think that any of your um, kind of, because you mentioned you went to like primary school, I suppose, in Nigeria, because you came to the UK yes. when you were 12. Did yes. that kind of seep into your competitive, your competitiveness come back into, just wondering, like, did it ever at some point come back in the way that you didn't think it would, at, <laughs> either in the US or the UK, once you thought you outgrew it, but actually, like, you really didn't? Okay, so the truth is, um, my school in Nigeria was very competitive, but I was always on the lower, <laughs> like, they ranked us by number, yeah, and I yeah. was always, like, out of 100, and I was, like, always, like, in the, like, bottom fifth of... <laughs> So when I got to the UK and I like tried to start becoming competitive and no one else was doing it, I got so happy because I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't have to like constantly prove myself. I can just do, I can just read what I want to do and study what I want to do. And actually, I think that made me a better student because okay. I was actually pursuing the things I wanted to do instead of just being competitive for competitive sake. So honestly, mm. it's never come back, which sometimes is a disadvantage, you know, especially because I'm training to be a lawyer. I know Mm -hmm. that's also a very competitive field. And I tend to be, you know, I can debate, I can make an argument, but I'm the kind of person where if it's, if it's clear that we are going to agree to disagree, I'm just going to stop arguing. I'm not (laughs) going to keep like fighting you. I just tune out. out. Yeah. Some people don't like that. Some people do not like that. Yeah. That's really interesting that like, it's, I guess, just asking because you would assume there are some things, okay, I'm just saying like for myself, there are some things that I think that like, oh, I've outgrew that kind of trait that I had in primary school of like kind of forcefully memorizing things and having to like regurgitate <laughs> information and being like, oh, I, I don't do that anymore. But then I realized when I was at um, doing my LLB, there were certain things that I just, it just comes so naturally to me where I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to memorize this entire page of information and then I'll just spit <laughs> it out. Like it doesn't, I don't think twice about what I'm doing, but then I think about it and I'm like, I really didn't, I didn't have that trait when I was seven, but I do now. And it's like, <laughs> like where? I mean, the cramming, the cramming definitely comes back. Like if you mm-hmm. went, because in my school, it was the same thing. Like mm-hmm. we, we had a topic called agricultural science because it's, uh, agriculture is really important in Nigeria. Yeah. And they, they gave us a table of all the Latin names of like all these type of plants and like um, fruits and vegetables. And it was maybe like 300 and we just memorized all of them. And sometimes like, you know, when when we're studying our LLB, sometimes I would get to a page of cases and I was like, I am, I'm going to memorize this whole page somehow, (laughs) phonetically maybe. Like, (laughs) I'd be like, oh, this case has to do with a snail. So I'm going to like find a way to remember that snail is this case. Um, Yeah. Bad habits, some bad habits. Mm-hmm. Definitely bad habits. Did you have any misconceptions you had to clear up about yourself, either in the UK or in the US, or even when you were back to Nigeria after um, finishing your uh, LLB degree? I, I I don't really think of like misconceptions mm-hmm. or like I like I think I wear who I am quite proudly. Um, I think I can be underestimated sometimes, but. Honestly, I let that happen because it means that I'll surprise them if I do well. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I really think about any misconceptions people have of me. Mm-hmm. It's not something I spend. I, it's not something I want to spend my time on. Oh, that's good. So you never felt like the need, or okay, well, to put it another way, did you ever feel the need to kind of prove yourself um, at any point in a in a negative way, not necessarily in like a good way, but in a way that was like, oh, I know that people think this way about me, so I subconsciously want to prove that that's not who I am kind of feeling I mean that's such a good question and it's honestly something that every everyone who's ever grown up in different cultures Mm -hmm. has probably thought of like as a millennial like you're already dealing with imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. you're dealing with like the weight of expectations if you come from a different country you're dealing with your parents being like we you know paid money for you to get this good education like you Mm -hmm. have to come out with like a stellar job and then also when you think about like Instagram and the way Mm -hmm. people brand themselves like you know, it can be really scary and intimidating, yeah. but I really think that everyone has to kind of fight against that some subconscious feeling mm-hmm. of like trying to like prove, you know, who I am is different. Like, you know, don't think of me <laughs> as just this like Nigerian, like I'm, you know, all these things. It's, 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 it's work, you know, yeah. when you stop and think about it, it's work trying to constantly prove that you're quote unquote different. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, yeah, perhaps when I was younger, maybe, you know, at Georgetown at university, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, 
like I can, I can, like I, I, I can read Latin and I can do this and I can do that. And like, I wanted to wear all that on my sleeve, but honestly, it's just, it's work when yeah. you can just be yourself. There's um, a quote from one of my favorite rappers, Megan Thee Stallion. <laughs> um, she says, you know, when you're being real, you're not worried about who's fake. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. It really yeah. makes you think about stuff yeah. like that. When you're just being yourself, you don't really have to worry about who else is. Mm-hmm you know, judging you or, or thinking about you. What was your f- most, like, treasured, um, I guess, trait or characteristics from, like, each part of, each of the places that you sort of call home slash grew up in? Um, oh, interesting. Uh, in Nigeria, I think it's definitely my, um, res- like, respect for elders. Mm-hmm. It's really important in Nigerian culture, and it's something my parents instilled in me, and it's why they made sure I had at least primary education mm-hmm. um, in Nigeria. I think that that shapes a lot of who I am and how I view people, mm-hmm. and I think it's very important. In the UK, I would say um, the, my uh, ability to stick to time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I I think I think that's something I got from the UK, like just being prompt. Yeah. Being like you know, you say you're going to turn this in, turn this in at midnight. It'll be there at eleven fifty nine. You know, that is something mm-hmm. I really appreciate about um, British people. And then in the US, definitely, 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 two hundred percent. Um, just being outgoing and taking risks. Mm-hmm. I became you know less risk averse when I went to the U- U- US, and I compare you know my my decisions with the decisions of my friends who have remained here in the UK. And it's like, you know, I definitely like uh, spent a lot of time traveling and I spent a lot of time just kind of deciding, Oh, today I'm going to try and like drive all the way to the state just because (laughs) I can. And that's something that I definitely got from America and also my love of music. Um, Okay. I think I developed my, my taste of music more in the US, mm-hmm. um, but that's just because there was always a good concert to go to. Oh, okay, okay. What do you think you would say was like the defining moment of like your, your I guess your life in the US where you were like, oh, this is something that I am actually more risk averse than I was or that I'm more risk averse compared to my friends? Mm, defining moment, let me think. Um... In, in 2016, January 2016, I kind of dropped everything and moved to San Francisco. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I had graduated from college in D.C. and I was living in New York and I was working in communications and I, just, I was unsure of what was next. I had uh-huh. my offer from SOAS, but I just didn't know if, if law was where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I essentially had like nine months until SOAS started. And mm-hmm. I was like, where do I want to be with these nine months? Mm-hmm. Spoke to my parents, spoke to my sister, and uh, a really close friend of mine lived in San Francisco at the time. And she was like, yeah, you can just come and stay with me until you like sort yourself out. And I literally just packed everything and moved. Oh, I didn't okay. have a job. I didn't have a plan. Um, I just, okay. it was my, it was one of, you know how you have a city that you just know that mm-hmm. you, like you think you belong in? And I'd visited and I'd read so much about it and I'd watched so many films about San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And this friend was being so inviting and so encouraging that I just moved. And that is not something I would have ever thought of doing if I'd remained in the UK. Ever. Right. Um, How did that and go? It was, the, it was amazing. Uh, I wish I miss it so much. Sometimes I think I lived there for like four years and I remember it was just <laughs> seven to eight months. Um, it took a while to find a job. It took like a month. And then I was working for a like, small legal startup, which was oh great because it still had the, the legal side to it. Like all my coworkers or half my coworkers were lawyers. Mm. And then um, I was living in a really nice, really lovely part of town with like all these bakeries. And I just oh. kept meeting new friends because I didn't know anyone and I had no um, foundation in the, in the area. I would just, you know, okay, today I'm going to go to this place alone and, you know, go on this tour alone and maybe I'll meet a new friend. Um, I, oh, that's so nice. I, yeah. Honestly, like my, okay. The two things I would say are defining were definitely, I, um, I applied to work for the San Francisco International Film Festival okay. because I knew I had some sort of interest in film, but I wasn't sure. And I, I was a house manager, which means that you kind of, you manage the house, like right. the director and the stars are coming in like you make sure they get inside you know you make sure everything goes according to plan the oh, very Q&A, cool <laughs> the screening and that was fun being part of a film festival mm-hmm. and then the second thing was um 
I went to a Paul Simon concert by myself in Berkeley. Um, oh, you went by yourself? Like, yeah. So this is, wow. I actually go to okay. concerts by myself now because of this. That's so cool. That's, a, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it was, a, so Paul Simon's like one of my favorite artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan and I just knew none of my friends would be interested. Like it was just one of those things where like <laughs> if someone came with me, they would be like on their phone. So I just like took the leap and I went by myself. I had the best time. And ever since then, I just, unless someone reaches out to me to be like, Hey, this person's coming to town. Do you want to go? I usually just buy a ticket for myself and I go alone. Okay. And that's, okay. yeah, that, that, like that experience in San Francisco is, is, is what made this happen. happen that's you know? very, I want to say that's liberating in a way. Like you kind of like don't have to depend on other people, right. To go where you want to go basically. That's exactly. so cool. What else, where else have you been alone? Like what other concerts have you been alone? Sorry. Well, concerts. Um, so uh, I love the man. So I did see Paul Simon alone again mm-hmm. in November 2016. Um, uh, there's a Lebanese band called Mashur Leila that I really love that actually some SOAS friends ended up going, but I just kind of got my <laughs> ticket and was kind of like going alone. Um, one of my favorite bands, Vampire Weekend. I saw them mm-hmm. alone twice last year. Um, who else have I gone to see alone? Some like smaller bands, like, you know, um, like So Far Sounds. Do you know of it? I don't know if it's no, in Singapore. I don't think so. It's it's really cool. I don't know how they're doing it now, but it's this really cool music community where, um, you know, every day in certain cities, they will just tell you, oh, there's going to be a concert in like Hackney in London at this bar. And, okay. you know, you have to pay $10, but they won't tell you until the day that it happens who is going to be there. Oh, Okay, yeah. okay. And it's usually small bands, like people starting out. Like it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not, you know, um, like no one big is going to come. <laughs> but the idea is you get to like meet new bands and you don't have to, because the price point has already been set, mm-hmm. you don't really have to think, oh, would I pay this money for this band? And then you can meet, you know, new acts. So, and yeah. Mm. And that's what you've so been doing as well. So. Yes. Oh, well, not during oh, now, now. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're stuck we're stuck at home but yeah um occasionally I would I, I would I would go to those yeah. that's really cool did you ever feel like you were going to travel alone have you traveled alone yeah oh I travel alone all the time it's my favorite wow. thing if you are scared of traveling alone you know talk to me I will come to <laughs> you I let me see well San Francisco was kind of the first time because for a month I was unemployed mm. so I mean I was living there but I was also like learning the city so I mm. created this google doc where I just kind of um amassed everything you know every recommendation anyone had or anything I saw on the internet and I just mm-hmm. like would tick box go through them and then um so and what I do usually is I'm, if I'm going to visit a new friend they usually work sorry if I'm going to visit a friend, they're usually at work. Mm-hmm. So what I will do is I will book the, the, um, the journey for like two weekends and a week in between. Mm-hmm. And so for the two weekends, I'm with the friend, but the week in between when they're at work, I have to do things on my own. So I did that. Mm. I went to visit a friend in, in Mumbai. I did that. And then in Bangalore, I did that. I did loads of stuff by myself. And then I went to visit a friend in Sydney um, last year. And I also did that had mm-hmm. a whole week to myself. Um, and then in, I've also gone alone to... So you flew all the way to like Mumbai and Bangalore and Sydney, and then you just kind of hung out there on your own? By myself, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, on the weekends, and then I, I would stay at my friends, but like, yeah. they had to work and I, I didn't want to ask them to take time off. So I just <laughs> yeah. kind of, I created, again, created a Google Doc and I had like all these things to check off. And then um, I also went to Spain by myself. I love uh, like Southern Spain, like Seville, Granada. Oh. Uh, it has like great Islamic history and I that's something I'm really interested in Mm. so I think that that's probably my favorite trip of all time I went unfortunately I went the day after the 2016 elections oh Um, weird time and weird (laughs) time but I was really glad to be alone for that week because I don't know how my like like how I would have felt if I was surrounded by loads of people who were also mourning I got to live in Spain for a week by myself and just kind of stick to my thoughts <laughs> you got to mourn in the mediterranean which is not the worst place to be mourning <laughs> exactly with all this history so yeah i i was very happy 
Do you think that as a millennial as well, like there are certain things that you have, I guess you are more prone to doing as opposed to like, sorry, as, let me rephrase that. As a millennial who has had all these experiences, you are more predisposed to doing certain kind of like eccentric or what wackier things that other people might not be able to, like traveling alone, for example, is not something that everyone kind of really does. Um, I think I wouldn't travel alone once, but I met up with my friend afterwards. I don't think that counts, but. <laughs> Where was it? Went to, it was very typical. I went to Paris for a day. Aww. Yeah. But I like, I don't, I like going to Paris because I like going to all of the random things that are not like typical. Like I don't go see the Eiffel Tower and stuff like that. I literally just go to like a random neighborhood and I just walk around and take a look at a boulangerie or something like that. And I think that's fun. But I met up with a few friends after that and we all stayed together. So I don't think that counts as traveling <laughs> as traveling alone. <laughs> no, you should. Honestly, I highly recommend it. Um, I don't think there's anything about like being a millennial that that makes me predisposed to to doing these things i think it's just you know your experiences and your like being open i guess maybe in that way because i i I do feel Mm -hmm. like millennials and gen z are more open to different experiences i'm more open to like learning about different lived experiences so Mm -hmm. perhaps that's it but um I, I don't think there's anything special about it. I think, I mean, sometimes it really is that you can't find anyone else to go with you to mm-hmm. Paul Simon. So then you have to go yourself. It's not that I was like, I'm going to do this thing myself and it'll be so cool. It really was. I have no mates. I have no friends. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I'm doing this alone. Um, same with, same with the Granada trip. Like I, I kept thinking like, who do I know who is that invested in like learning about Islamic history? Mm. My brother who was in college in the States and he, like he wasn't going to come like all the mm-hmm. way for like six day trip. And so it, it, it was that again, like I was kind of forced to just go by myself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise I would spend my whole life waiting for someone else who might be interested. And that's, there's no point in that. So, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Do you think, um, you've ever had like a an identity crisis at all yes for sure (laughs) um i think my greatest identity crisis is has to do with like my interest in pursuing the law and studying the law Mm. and also my love of like popular culture okay okay do elaborate (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i think like sometimes you know I, i i love like reading about books and learning certain reading about books reading about tv and Mm -hmm. movies and the popular culture like that has to do with that i love it but you don't really when you think about like a serious lawyer who like is is, you know when you think about like amal clooney like do you think (laughs) amal clooney has any you know opinions on sex in the city yeah like maybe oceans I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe, Ocean, yeah, she could talk about Ocean's 11, yeah. 12, 13, maybe, but you know, like growing up, I did have a lot of lawyers in my life and, and they're quite serious. And I, mm-hmm. I was always so scared because, you know, like I, like my heroes are like, you know, Madeline Albright and like RBG mm-hmm. and people like that, but it's also Jon Stewart and Tina Fey and Mindy Kaling. Mm-hmm. And those people are comedians and mm-hmm. they, they deal in like pop culture and I like growing up, I was just so, so scared that if I tried to delve into my interest in those things, I would be labeled as unserious. Mm. No one would take me seriously. My law career would tank. Um, mm-hmm. And on, I'm, honestly, I'm still dealing with that crisis. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. You know, every day I wake up and I think, should I be doing, you know, this podcast? Should I be interested in these things? Should I yeah. just burn all of my like, <laughs> history books on, on SNL? Like if I want to get <laughs> further in this, in my career and I think I I got to a point where like I was like, okay, perhaps, you know, just because you don't know personally any any lawyers who are interested in this stuff, maybe you maybe I can be the first person I know that's interested in all this. So, um, it's a strange identity crisis, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then also, the other identity crisis is like you know has to do with my American and like British mm-hmm. upbringings. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very securely Nigerian, but as I got mm-hmm. older, I did move closer to the US. And now um, after I left the US and I've been in London and I was in Nigeria last year, mm-hmm. um, like for five years, I've just been like, should I move back to the US? Mm-hmm. I asked, you know, my friends like make fun of me because I'm constantly like, guys, should I move back? 
and because especially with law it depends yeah. on like jurisdiction and you know yeah. once you start working in one jurisdiction that's where you really want to specialize mm-hmm. and it's it's a strange identity crisis to have because I, I think I know one day I will leave the UK mm-hmm. but I'm constantly like should I move mm-hmm. now should it be now yeah um so yeah I know what you mean yeah do you, I just feel like as well with all of these as as you're talking about like movies and all these like pop culture stuff, so much of what we watch, like, I mean, let's talk about Sex and the City, right? And the entire six season arc is about Carrie having like a six year identity crisis about like where (laughs) she wants to go and where she wants to be. And I feel like we've been so inundated. I don't know. I think as millennials in particular, we've been so inundated about like every big thing that we see, whether it's like friends or whether it's even like new girl or whatever it is that we're watching. It's like always about, someone trying to like find themselves and I feel like sometimes it gives us this weird perception that we need to have an identity crisis in order for us to like get to where we are supposed to go so I'm just wondering like is it a matter of upbringing for someone like ourselves where we have had so many different identities so to speak or is it something that we kind of put ourselves through because we are like oh we need to come out of on the other side I don't know if you have any thoughts on that honestly you make a very good point about like the things we watch and how we think that like by this age you should have like you know done this and done that and like you should have like a group of six friends that (laughs) love you eternally and and that's it um yeah I don't know with our different identities I think it actually makes it easier for me at least Mm. you know not to have such a crisis because I'm really grounded in um my Nigerian like upbringing like Mm. I said and um when when the going gets rough I can always when the going gets tough I can always like call my mother and remind myself like who I am and like you know what her life was was like and how like the opportunity she's given me means that I don't have to you know stress as much or Mm -hmm. worry as much about oh where will I be what will I do so Mm -hmm. I don't know I I think of it as kind of a shield honestly our different Mm -hmm. identities um and I think it makes us, it makes those crises easier to handle, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was, if I was brought up, you know, 100% American, like let's say I was born there and I went to high school there. I think I, I, I do think I would be struggling a lot more at this age with like, okay. oh, you know, but I want to know more about my Nigerian past. Like, should I go live in Nigeria for like <laughs> two, three years with a distant relative? Or, you know, um, you know, my family has come over here and they've done so much. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to study law because, you know, they, they studied law. They did the hard work. I want to have fun, <laughs> you know, like maybe that's how I would, I would think if, 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 if I mm-hmm. grew up in just one place. So yeah, that's my, mm-hmm. that's my thought on it. Did you ever think that, that like your, I guess your identity crisis, especially the one about being like a serious lawyer versus like, oh, I like all this pop culture stuff. Was that something that you just kind of struggled with? at SOAS or was it always something that you wanted to that you have been struggling with as soon as you wanted to start you know pursuing law as a career um always always Mm. since since high school since um maybe when I was applying to universities and Mm. how I explained that I you know went to all the UK universities that were Mm. my parents top choice and Mm. I was so deflated after I'd left every (laughs) single one and then going you know to the US and finding out about all these cool activities um, and, you know, my parents are quite serious. Like, they're both lawyers who are educated mm-hmm. in the UK. My maternal grandparents were lawyers who are educated in the UK. Oh, wow. Like, my, yeah. Like, my my decision to pursue a legal career was my own. Mm-hmm. But there are there are moments where I think, like, did this just fall in my lap? Like, mm-hmm. is my purpose something else? Mm-hmm. Do, I, do I really belong here? And um, the truth is, I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. And, but what I do know, what, what I do know is... I did try once I got to SOAS Mm -hmm. to study law. I did try to suppress that part of myself. Mm -hmm. I had all these law books in front of me and I was like, this is my life now. You know, less TV Aisha, less like, you know, reading about pop culture criticism. Like (laughs) don't go to any film festivals. Like your life is the law now. I I really tried for a couple of months, but Mm -hmm. it was so hard Mm -hmm. and it made, it made my, my life harder. Mm -hmm when I can experience like the joys, the things that, that brought me joy. Mm. So yes. So yeah, it's, it's not something I can let go. Mm-hmm. Was, do you think that like there is, when I came back to Singapore, I think it was like end 2018, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. in 2018, I started with an NGO like in March in 2019. That's been about like a year and a, a year or so a bit. Um, and one of the big things I realized was to do with the working culture because uh, I think as someone who also I know what you're coming from by like, okay, you grew up among very serious people who like their interest was literally their life. And like, that was also their job. Like there is no like distinction between like, if I'm interested in something, it's because I want to make money out of it and not necessarily because I like really like it in any way. Right. So when I came back here, that's kind of like how a lot of the traditional culture is like here. And I'm just wondering if, you know, when I, when you started working, did you kind of feel that there was a bit of a disconnect between what you were quote used to? as a working culture versus, you know, what you were expected to, con- quote, I don't know if you use, use the word conform, yeah. but what you were expected to kind of like be in Nigeria. Um, in Nigeria, yes. So, um, so in the U.S., there is a kind of assumption that like, I mean, it's not true, but like you should <laughs> love, you should like, you know, you should love where you work. You yeah. should want to like do it in your sleep. Like, you know, your, your job is the best place ever. Um, and that, you know, like that really hit a wall when I got to Nigeria. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, wait, no, sometimes you just work to work. Yeah. Um, and um, a huge adjustment. I think, you know, going back to our conversation about like being a millennial, mm-hmm. um, when I speak to my parents about like in Nigeria, I would come back um, from work and I was like, mom, dad, like this person said this and this person did this. Like, why are they being mean to me? <laughs> and they would be like, it's not about you. It's work. Just do the work. And I feel like older generations, like sometimes they think that millennials can, are a little bit like they, they want too much out of work. Yeah. yeah. They're too soft. Like, you know, two weeks in, if you don't like the, the work culture, you know, you want to leave and our parents are like, no, you just stay there for 20 yeah. years and then retire when you need to. So, um, yeah. So I, I think work culture, definitely. I did have a, why would you ask such a bizarre question? Like it has nothing to do with your job. <laughs> and I was like, it's important. Like it is important to me that like this is addressed because I don't want to be yeah. somewhere where like, you know, I'm not taken, I'm not valued. And I think that's a huge thing with us is that we want to be valued in the positions that we're in. And we want to feel like we are making impact at our work as well. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't want to be stuck in a job where you feel like, okay, I'm going to write this. I'm going to make up this document. I'm going to do all this work and it's going to go sit on someone else's desk for years. Like that's not something you want. So I think it's good that our generation is really taking this into consideration. I had a cousin, I have a cousin in um, LA um, when she graduated and she was looking for her first job. She told me this like two years ago, but she was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Any job that, like any job I go for, I have to ask them, are there opportunities for your workers to work remotely? Mm, Is that okay. like standard? And she was like, if they said no, I wouldn't even consider the job. And I looked at her like in shock, like, what? It's a job. Like go there five days a week. You should go. Yeah. Now, like looking back, like, you know, especially with COVID, mm-hmm. that was actually really smart of her at 21, 22 mm-hmm. to really think about, you know, this job, is it a job I can work remote? Is it a job that I can like, you know, cause she also, it's like going out for auditions cause it's LA. Mm-hmm. So she's also like an actor. She's like, is it a job that I can like work, you know, work on and still be able to make it to auditions. And mm-hmm. if it's not, then that's not good enough for me. And I'm not going to take the job. And, you know, now with COVID, you know, the job she has, mm-hmm. she's able to do it. Like there wasn't as much of a shock mm-hmm. when everyone had to work from home and, and move home. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you tell, like, my parents or my grandparents that she did that, they would be like, what? <laughs> like, how are you so entitled? Like, yeah, to think yeah. that you deserve to work remote? Yeah, it's fascinating. Working culture is definitely changing um, mm-hmm. things to, to the COVID restrictions. And mm-hmm. I wonder what work will look like in, in you know, in 10 years. Mm-hmm. What I don't like about our our generation is, I mean, it's not our generation's fault. It's just the way um, mm-hmm. that society has, has, has done this, but like how work has kind of become our life. Mm. Like the reason yeah. why we ask those questions about like company culture and like employee appreciation and like diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion is because for some people, you know, they, they, they're working even after they've clocked off, Yeah, you know? Or you have like those startups that provide excellent dinners 
for all of their employees. And while you're eating that dinner, you don't realize they've provided the dinner so you can stay till 10 p.m. Yeah. And keep working. And suddenly all your friends are the people you work with. And all your extracurricular activities are just events that your firm or your company has like. So I'm scared about that because I think there needs to be a balance. Um, But Mm -hmm. we shall see. I think it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember when we were, I was doing like those insights where like, uh, I forgot what they're called, but um, the things were in like your first or second year where you, it's not a VAX game, but it's like where you go to like talk to the firm and you ask some questions. And then there are some where like you get invited to play like a business game or like when you're one of those, like it's kind of like a vacation oh, scheme, but it's, it's kind of like a VAX game. It's like an insight day. Yeah. Yeah. And I did yeah. so many of those in like first year, I think. And I remember like, one of the places I went to, I don't remember which firm it is, but it's one of those big uh, city firms that has like a pool and like a gym and everything. And I was <laughs> like, wow, it's like, so it sounds so great. Right. But then I was talking to like a senior and they were like, yeah, the only reason why they give you all this stuff is because you can't leave. Like if they give all, <laughs> if you get, if they give you all these things, it means that you have to stay. And they, if, if they're like, oh, we have a Michelin star chef, it means that you don't have to go outside to get lunch. You eat it in the canteen. And I was like, oh, I never, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, when you're younger, you see all these perks and you're like, wow, a pool, a gym. And then you're in the office at 11 p.m. at the gym. Like, wait, <laughs> they've kept me here and I'm ba- going to be back here at seven. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, you know, when you think about like the, you know, you know, some, some, some companies buy, some companies lease. Mm-hmm. Now with COVID, like they're probably thinking like, what are we going to do? <laughs> we have all this space and this pool that no one has used for six months. And yeah. We'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that there's a difference in um, working culture in uh, in Nigeria from like your time at, your, when you were there versus your parents when they were working in Nigeria? Or at least do you yes. know? Yeah, two hundred percent. Yes. Um, <laughs> in I mean, there's a running there's a joke by this uh, Nigerian comedian Yvonne Orji. She she says that you know as a Nigerian. Uh, child you're either a doctor a lawyer an engineer or a disappointment <laughs> and that is definitely like my parents generation's um view on things so, like they for them it was you know working culture was like i said you 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 train to be something and then you are that something for mm-hmm. many many years and then you retire and that's how you are a good mother or father to your children mm-hmm. and now with you know millennials in nigeria like because like also, there's so many more opportunities across the continent mm-hmm. and um, even like in Europe, so many young Nigerians are like starting up, for example, everyone mm-hmm. has a side hustle. Every oh, single yeah. person I know, whether they're a lawyer or like they, you know, they're an accountant or they're, um, or I don't know, they, they own their own business. Even if you own your own business, you also have a side hustle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge, that says a lot about the Nigerian economy, like the fact that you have to kind of maintain two um, two positions in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that you have to, because some people, it's not even about the money. For some people, it's because the doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever, that they train for is what their parents wanted. <laughs> but then the side hustle is what they actually want. Yeah. And for a lot of my friends, they're just doing both. Mm-hmm. So like if I was in Nigeria, if I was, if I was uh, working in Nigeria, I'd be a lawyer. And then my side hustle would be my podcast that I work mm. on and possibly other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, there's still, there's still a huge, a huge, there's huge pressure on Nigerian children to mm-hmm. um, like work in these industries, but with none of the returns that were there mm. during my parents' generation, like the, the salaries are lower because yeah. the, the economy isn't as great. And the, the, the Naira, which is our currency, mm-hmm. isn't, strong and um the networks that mm-hmm. you would be able to cultivate from being you know a lawyer they just aren't as strong as before mm-hmm. and you know you look at your like every like everyone is just kind of working to survive mm-hmm. in my generation so yeah definitely change of work mm-hmm. culture Do you think less loyalty less loyalty well. to companies you mean or to yes right to companies right. no one everyone no one bats an eye about like okay you treated me poorly i'm leaving yeah. whereas my like so i was talking about this with a friend so a friend of mine you know she worked for a boss who um was quite controlling and also not not a health not a great person to work mm-hmm. for and 
I kept telling her, you should leave. This person doesn't deserve your time. You know, he's being very like Nigerian in the way he treats you. And, you know, he's not very, he's not, he's not very nice to work with. Mm -hmm. And her parents were very much like, no, work is work. You just keep going. If Mm -hmm. he's mean to you, that's life. Mm -hmm. If he's like, that's just what work is. And that tension is definitely there between like my generation and my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. Cause my generation is just like, I want to leave. Like I, I, I am owed some dignity. Mm-hmm. Are there any expectations that you think you had when of yourself going into working in Nigeria, uh, working in Nigeria? So I mean like, so for example, for myself, when I started to work here, I wanted part of the reason was because I wanted to come back to Singapore and kind of like understand what it's like to live here because I haven't actually lived here for a number of years. And my expectation for myself was I wanted to, you know, be more acquainted with what the ongoings um, on the ground kind of, and did you have any similar expectations or was it kind of like, okay, we'll just see what happens. And then. Oh, I, I had the exact same thing. I, I wanted to like spend some time in Nigeria, like work in Nigeria so that like, you know, if I get older and I want to move back, mm-hmm. I have like some kind of foundation and I definitely, oh my God, all my expectations were just thrown to the side <laughs> like, for day one. Um, I was like, okay, like I'm in this office, like, you know, here are the rules, here's, here's what I expect. Mm-hmm. And um, something happened in like my second week that just made me like... <laughs> I was just like, what? Wait, I feel like I can say what it was. It was, um, it was that I'd spent a month hiring someone. And uh-huh. then on their second day, they <laughs> sent me an email saying, I don't want to work here anymore. <laughs> and I literally, like, I, I was staring at my phone. Like, what? You can't do that. You need to give two weeks notice, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, yeah. I realized, oh, no, in Nigeria, like, those things don't happen. <laughs> And, you know, when I told my parents, they were like, oh, yeah, that, that, you know, that happens. You just have to hire someone else. And I was like, but it took me a month. Like, you know, I had all these charts and I thought this person was so incredible. I vouched for them. Like, well, and I my parents like, you're being too emotional about this. Go hire someone else. But, um, yeah, that was definitely a, a good example of the shock. And just generally, you know, everyone's, everyone's just trying to survive in mm-hmm. Nigeria. So no one has time for your feelings or... <laughs> No, literally, no one has time for your feelings or for like, you know, you're whinging. No one, mm-hmm. like, you just have to like suck it up and keep going. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I learned for mm-hmm. sure. I think it's also something that is good and used in a positive sense, right? Like you just have to be like, okay, this is what it's like. And I don't feel attached to the thing that I'm doing and then just kind of move on, which I think is a good exactly. thing. Sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Did you ever... Mm-hmm feel like you were out of your depth when you were working in Nigeria because if you were there to kind of like try to understand you know the culture and kind of reconcile what you remember you know the culture to be versus what it actually is now did you ever feel like out of your depth like I don't really know what this person is trying to say like this has happened to me sometimes where I think this person means something or I'm I'm I am unaware of what the implication of what this person is, is actually saying. And I tell my parents about it. They're like, that's not what they mean at all. Oh. And I'm like, oh, okay. I do. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's, that's such a good question. Um, for me, it was double-sided because on top of like going back to Nigeria and like starting work, I also was starting a job that I had never really had before. I was the managing mm-hmm. editor of a publication. I had like edited things before and I was like in the law journal mm-hmm. with you and I, I knew, you know, what editing entailed. But mm-hmm. I think from both ends, like, you know, working in Nigeria for the first time and working as a managing mm-hmm. editor for the first time, that definitely hit me um, quite hard. Like I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, like I mentioned, you know, respect for the, for people who are Mm -hmm. older than you is really important in Nigeria. And I would sometimes get submissions from people who are much older. Like they would have a professor before their name. So you (laughs) knew that they were like well-respected and like had like maybe pursued a PhD. And I, as a managing editor, like you still have to send reminders and be quite strict. And you have to be like, you know, you told us this would come in at this time. It hasn't. I'm sorry. We might have to drop you. And, you know, you know, at first I was just, you know, acting like I would in the UK or the US. Like, doesn't matter how old I am. I'm still the editor here. I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to learn really quickly that, like, <laughs> if, if that professor perceives you as someone younger, they will treat you, like, anyhow. And, like, yeah. 
you have to just take it and you can't be offended. And, you know, you have to like be respectful, even when you're emailing them clearly mm-hmm. annoyed that they haven't said <laughs> something, you still have to use all the, you know, thank you so much for wanting to collaborate with us on this, please. You know, <laughs> you have to kind of use all the like, all the words to make them yeah. feel respected. So yeah, that's definitely um, something that I had to get used to. And I think it stuck with me too, because now I'm here in the UK and sometimes I'll email someone who's much higher than me in the hierarchy mm-hmm. and they might like email back being like, Aisha, you don't have to be so formal on email. <laughs> you can just say like, you know, thanks or like, you know, here, here is this. But instead I'm still emailing like, hi, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity for letting me work on this. Here's what I've prepared. Please let me know. Like I'm still using all the words that I remember from, from working in Nigeria. <laughs> like I'm still like being overly respectful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Do you ever think that you would um, want this kind of like belonging everywhere, but also nowhere at the same time for your own kids if you were to have kids or, you know, for your future, if you would want that to be something that, you know, other people, like your descendants would also have that My same descendants. feeling. <laughs> <laughs> My descendants. Um, yes, 200%. Um, I'm, you know, again, I, I feel lucky and privileged to have had mm-hmm. this background and I definitely want to, um, you know, maintain that if I, you know, if I do have a family, I think it, one, you know, one of my big regrets and um, my parents will call me out on this is that mm-hmm. I don't speak my language in Nigeria. <laughs> like, I can't speak it fluently, but I speak Spanish. I studied Arabic and Latin mm. and like, I'm trying to learn Italian at the moment. And they're looking at all these books, like, why can't you learn your own language? <laughs> and um, it's, it's a source of shame for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, so while I, I do want to maintain this sort of, you know, if, if I can, like living in different parts of the mm-hmm. world and, and speaking different languages, I, I also have to make sure, you know, if I do have children, I like, you know, find someone who can teach them my language, like from an <laughs> early age, so that like they're not as embarrassed as me like, at family gatherings. And um, oh, wait, sorry, I'm ignorant. So do tell me what is the what is the language that you are referring to? Oh, Yoruba. Okay. So I'm from like the southwest of Nigeria and um, we speak Yoruba, which is like you know, okay. Lagos. If you're familiar with, if you're familiar with any kind of Afro beats, like Nigerian music, a lot of them are in Yoruba. So mm-hmm. even if you're not Yoruba, you can understand words, like you can understand phrases. It's a very okay. common language, um, but it's also very like deep, meaningful language and quite mm-hmm. musical. And, okay. Oh, cool. Um, it's, yeah, it's really cool. And I've been, I have like textbooks for it and I can understand <laughs> most of it I just cannot bring myself to speak it and sometimes I think it's it's psychological because Mm. like I speak Spanish fine I speak Italian fine um Arabic fine Mm -hmm. and I was able to pick those up so easily whereas you know the the language that my parents speak at home I just like look at them (laughs) I'm just like watching them speak it's like I'm not even there (laughs) like in the conversation because it's also really awkward when they've been speaking in Yoruba for a long time and then I say something in English and everyone looks like are you part of this conversation I don't think so <laughs> do they do they so. speak Yoruba to you at home or is it just something that they speak amongst like um, so to themselves between themselves when I was when I was growing up they didn't speak it to me and I this is what I blame them for a little bit because <laughs> I think they, they they wanted to give me that international education and they didn't want me to like develop certain accents i think it's you know Mm. part of like the immigrant experience Mm -hmm. so they didn't speak it to me and then i got to my teen years and then they started speaking it to me all the time (laughs) and kind of being like why don't you speak it why don't you speak it and you know i could blame it on like uh like nigeria's education system i could blame (laughs) it on on them for not speaking it to me but honestly i should also blame it on me for not hard enough (laughs) You can understand it though, right? Like if you were to have a comp, like if someone were to speak to you, you would be able to understand what they're saying, but you would respond probably in English. Yeah, I'd respond in English. I just, I, I can't get the the sentences out quickly enough. And I'm also, um, I'm also ashamed of my accent. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's like, um, there's a phrase in, in your like, which is, um, 
like literally it means someone who eats butter <laughs> and it comes from like the time when like if you were poor you ate like you had margarine with breakfast mm-hmm. and if you were like richer or like international you had butter and so when you call someone an ajabota it's like someone who is clearly you know a little bit like protected and not very oh, okay. nigerian in, in like the most basic mm-hmm. sense so you know sometimes when i speak in yoruba people are like oh, that's an ajabota accent stop. <laughs> please stop you're embarrassing oh my yourself. god did you ever feel like that got in the way of you i don't know do you have any like nigerian friends or colleagues that you feel like that got in the way of you like communicating effectively with them because they'd be like oh like here she goes again <laughs> No, actually, because this is actually a phenomenon that's happening in my generation. Like there's so many of my friends who are having the same struggle. So we actually bond over that. And um, (laughs) I have aunts, you know, like nosy aunts Mm. who like, you know, they'll greet me and I'll greet them back. And then that's as far as I can go. (laughs) And then they'll start teasing me about like, so I can't even speak to you. Like, yeah, yeah. This isn't, you know, English isn't deep enough. Like there's other things I want to say. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm such a shame. (laughs) Bringing dishonor to my family. Um, So that's a priority for me and any descendants for sure. Okay. Let's, we're kind of getting to the end and I think I've like held you here long enough because I know it's morning (laughs) and I don't want to. Um, We, I'm just going to ask like a few more general kind of questions that I think this like be, this is what I asked some, one of our other guests as well. One of the things that we wanted to talk a bit about as well was like, when it comes to your, um, I guess, cause you're, as you mentioned, like a lot of us have various side hustles or we not necessarily things that we're making money off of, but definitely things that we enjoy doing and we don't mind putting in the time. Like if you had the ideal, um, ideal side hustle what would it be and like why would you choose that oh my goodness okay give me a second so ideal 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 I would love to be um a film critic for the New Yorker like if that was just kind of what I had to do I also would love to own a theater and like run um screenings of films and like discussions through that theater and that could be like discussions not like oh I'm gonna bring you know Paul Thomas Anderson in and he's going to like tell us about his latest work but actually more as a space for like young especially female film lovers to discuss Mm -hmm. things without feeling um ashamed or feeling ostracized yes yeah you know you know like there's there's some demarcations of what people consider like a quote-unquote serious film and Mm -hmm. I really would love the space to like show the social network and then have a discussion about like how great a film it is, but you know, it's problematic perceptions of female, uh, of women, especially like Asian women in the film and like mm. what that means for like the way movies are like, are, are um, the, the way people like view mu- movies and how f- women are viewed in movies. So like mm-hmm. that would be my, oh my gosh, if, if someone could give me all like some money to buy a cinema right now, ah, that would be the dream. Have you been to <laughs> see be any films? I actually just saw Tenet yesterday. Oh, yeah. I, I'm still too scared to go in cinemas, especially okay. in the UK. Like, I, um, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to see Tenet in theaters. I really wanted oh, to no. because yeah. <laughs> I know I really wanted to, but um, I'm, I'm still a little scared. Like the London Film Festival is, is coming up and I go every year and this is going to be my first year where I just don't go because mm-hmm. I just don't feel comfortable going into cinema right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but how is Tenet? Everyone I've spoken to is like, I don't understand what happened. <laughs> it is, I think it's, it's like Inception. It, it's like the ego and the what the hell is going on concept of Inception combined with the space-time stuff from Interstellar with like okay. the most Christopher Nolan at his max. Like, he, it, I, don't, his, I, don't, oh yeah, like I don't think that it's like a, I don't think it was as confusing as I thought it was going to be. I thought Inception okay. was a lot more confusing, but I thought this was a good, I think the concept is very interesting. I'm not going to spoil it, but the concept is very interesting. But it's that I think he didn't quite explain it. You know, he has a lot of exposition and it's very chunky. And sometimes it's like they talk a lot. And then by like the third or fourth dialogue, you're like, I have no idea what is going on. That's how I felt about this film. But I think in terms of like the concept, it's quite cool. And I think it's definitely very visually stunning. Um, very cool set pieces. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm a big, I've 
turn around and become a huge Robert Pattinson fan in my late <laughs> 20s. And so I'm... He's I, good I really, in the really film. Very, yeah. very charming. Yeah, I really thought he was... He was a good addition to the film. He is very, like... Yeah, he, he was fun. I think I just also found out that the main character was Denzel Washington's son. Yeah, John David Washington, who yeah, I also I, love. So <laughs> I did not know that he was in any movies at all. That was a really cool surprise. He tries to keep it a surprise. I think, like, he said in interviews that, you know, being Denzel Washington's son, mm-hmm. like, doors are going to open for you, but sometimes, like, people are going to have expectations of you. So he, like, doesn't yeah. really try and, like, campaign on it. But if yeah. I was Denzel Washington's daughter, I would talk about it all the like, time. put it like, up here. <laughs> yeah, I'd put it, I have a badge. Yeah. I would be, like, just out of nowhere. Just, I'm, Denzel Washington is my yeah. dad. He definitely you know. has, like, the charismaticness of Denzel Washington in the film like it definitely comes through and he carries the movie really well like I I didn't even like I was I was honestly kind of surprised because I was like I don't know he's is he a big actor like I don't really know I only know one person in that film and it was Robert Pattinson I didn't even know he was in that movie like this is clearly how much research I did into this film what I went to I was like oh this is a Christopher Nolan film it looks good so I'm gonna see it but I was like I'm surprised he put like such a not so famous person because usually it's like Leonardo DiCaprio or you know Matthew McConaughey yeah. and then I found out who he was and I was like oh, I can see, and then when, as the film started getting going, I was like, this guy is very charismatic and, like, definitely very cool. Really, well, I like, think that the film suffered, like, because of COVID, uh, like, lack of a press tour, because I mm. actually think, like, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson and, and the fe- uh, the female lead, Elizabeth Debicki, oh, yeah. who's very tall. She's a very tall woman. Yeah, she's um, 6'3", isn't she? She's really tall. So tall. She towered um, over everyone in the film and she was wearing heels. <laughs> so here's, Okay, I love that because I've watched a lot of films with her in it where directors, because she's usually paired with a man who's a bit shorter, directors have found ways to make her look short. Like, like it's so annoying. It's like a whole thing, like the man from Uncle, like you'll have her lying down sometimes, like trying to make her look shorter than she is so the man doesn't feel emasculated. Yeah. And I like that no one let her be tall. But I think those three on a press tour would have been really fun. Mm. you know like really charming like you would be able to see all sides of them and I feel sad that they they didn't get that and yeah. also the dresses and like the suits it would have yeah. been nice. I think she she was she was a great addition as well and it was fun that she was in it yeah she's really tall and like there were scenes with Kenneth Branagh who I also didn't know was in the film and I was pleasantly surprised when I found out he was and they would I think they're married in the movie so they were together um, sometimes and he I don't think he's short, but he definitely looks short next to her. She's wearing heels half the time. And I'm like, this is just... I love that. <laughs> just be tall over everyone. That's her yeah. destiny. She's so tall and so like, I don't know, like her figure is so incredible. I was like, this is just the most interesting film I've ever seen just by like character wise. <laughs> they were, yeah, yeah, it was really good. I rec- definitely recommend seeing it. Okay. Last other question is... Um, is there anything that you would say that for people, so we've been talking about like identity and sort of like all that stuff. And I think a lot of it is also about how we view our, uh, ourselves versus how other people view us. And I'm just wondering if you were to say anything about to your past self about viewing, let me rephrase that. If you were to um, say something to your past self about viewing yourself differently, if at all, like if there was a point in your life where you were like, I feel like I am being misunderstood or I feel like a part of my identity has been like misconstrued in some way, what would you say to yourself? Or would you even say anything at all to that version of yourself that felt that way? I, I would, I, I think I would, you know, go back in time to my 18-year-old self, perhaps, you know, when she was leaving the UK and going to the US for university. And I would tell her to just be patient, mm-hmm. um, like be patient and don't, don't spend so much time thinking about how others, others feel about you. Because to be honest, everyone else is working on themselves. So, um, because like, I would really want my 18-year-old self to just chill really just don't try to rush to become an adult too quickly and also you know don't try to rush to become everyone's best friend so quickly Mm -hmm. you know maybe just be happy and content being with yourself being by yourself um that's that's what i would tell my younger self oh that's sweet (laughs) that's nice okay um (laughs) thank you so much for being here and for doing this thank you for having me fun 
Um, do you want to plug your podcast? <laughs> do you want to plug anything? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I said it at the top, but um, it's kind of a funny story. We are on hiatus right now, but, you know, if we come back, we will be dropping episodes, I think, every Monday. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at kindoffunnypod. It's really fun, you know send us gifts, send us episode <laughs> suggestions, or just DM us. We're always there. And um, yeah, that's it. I have nothing else to plug. I mean, I'm trying to think everyone should go watch, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. That's another thing oh, I'd yeah. love to plug. I have no, like, I was out no a few stake. years ago, though, right? Like 2018. But I, you know, I talk about it all the time. I think everyone in the world should watch that movie because it's the best movie ever made. And <laughs> I have no stake in it, but I just think, that's my other plug. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's great. Thanks so much, um, Aisha, for being here. Thank you, and Kay. Really appreciate good to see time. you. You too. Okay. Have a good day. You too. Bye.